Canada's deficit ballooned to over $350 billion in 2020-2021 and is projected to be north of $150 billion this year. And as political parties roll out their election platforms, they are all planning to continue spending for the foreseeable future. At the same time, the cost of living has emerged as the top issue for voters in this campaign. And yesterday, Stats Canada released new inflation numbers showing the fastest increase in the consumer price index in over a decade. The pandemic has also increased inequality in our society. Some, including the wealthiest, are much better off as a result of the pandemic. Others, especially those most impacted by the restrictions and closures caused by the pandemic, are much worse off. These two dynamics, increased public expenditure and rising economic inequality, are surely going to be hot topics during this election campaign. How do we pay for the pandemic and recovery? And how do Canadians feel their tax system is when it comes to fairness? And what impact is the pandemic having on the cost of living? Welcome back to In Focus with David Coletto. I'm David Coletto. On this episode of In Focus, I'm joined by Katrina Miller, Program Director at the Broadbent Institute, and Kivas Najafi, the Director of Policy and Communications at the Professional Institute of the Public Service of Canada, a union representing over 60,000 scientists and professionals employed at the federal and some provincial and territorial levels of government. The Broadband Institute and PIPS commissioned my company, Abacus Data, to conduct public opinion research exploring public perceptions about wealth inequality, tax fairness, and affordability. I'm so pleased Katrina and Kivash agreed to join the podcast today. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Katrina and Kivash, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. I'm really happy to be here, David. Thanks for inviting us. So before we get into the summary of the results of the, the survey we did together, um, I was wondering if you could both, you know, give us some insight into why you commissioned this, this study in the first place. Uh, we've worked together in the past looking at, at similar kind of topics, but, you know, Katrina, maybe you can start us off um, as, as really the, I think, the, 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 the spark to this idea. Um, what's, 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 why are you guys interested in tax fairness and affordability and inequality and, and why right now? Well, you know, as you know, David, because we've done this work with you, um, you know, for a few years now, we've been tracking these issues in public opinion polls uh, in partnership with you um, and really wanted to get the pulse of where Canadians were on these issues after a year and a half of a pandemic um, in the midst of what we saw as an election sort of uh, at on the eve of an election. Um, and also at a moment where it seemed that people were starting to sh shift their minds towards what happens after the pandemic and where, where do they see their lives going. Um, and, you know, we saw during the pandemic uh, a, lot of, a lot of news stories and a lot of information come at us about how the inequalities of our society are laid bare. Um, we wanted to see how that actually impacted people's opinions about inequality and where that that sits people now and Canadians now. And I think the results are really, really fascinating that way. Um, and then we also wanted to see, you know, we've been on issues around tax fairness for a very, very long time. 
We wanted to see whether or not people's general support for tax fairness was turning into active support around particular tax measures and how that support was trending. Um, largely because we wanted to see whether or not it, it had the steam it needs to be a ballot box issue. Um, so that's what led our, our, our desire to get these results and really dig into this information. And Kivash, you, uh, you're, you're a director at, I guess, the largest uh, public sector union of, of professional uh, employees. Um, so why, why is PIPS sort of involved in this project too? Uh, yeah, so PIPS represents uh, about 12,000 auditors, audit managers, forensic accountants, economists, statisticians, uh, and, and other uh, tax professionals uh, at the CRA. Um, so, you know, the, the folks who are responsible for ensuring tax fairness and the application of our laws correctly are the ones that are represented, uh, a, a good chunk of them, 12,000 of them are represented by PIPS. Uh, in 2012, if you recall, the Harper government announced a major cuts to the CRA. Um, and between 2012 and 2017, um, you know, it, it uh, resulted in the loss of over 4,000 positions and nearly a billion dollars uh, being cut from the annual budget of uh, Canada Revenue Agency. Uh, the cuts definitely hindered the agency's ability to properly investigate and reclaim lost revenue from tax uh, avoiders. And, uh, you know, we, we had the job losses, positions uh, that were represented by PIPs, and we saw significant lost capacity to units uh, such as criminal investigations, special enforcement, uh, offshore tax evasion, and aggressive tax planning. Uh, th those were the, the divisions that were really focusing on, on uh, tax avoidance in Canada, and, and they lost a lot of capacity. And, uh, you know, compounding that damage was also some of the questionable policy decisions and, and directions that the Harper government was uh, pressuring the agency to take on. Um, I recall that, you know, uh, close to the end of the Harper years, uh, the agency was more focused on charities as opposed to tax cheats. Uh, so definitely that politicized the, the membership of PIPs and, and made tax fairness uh, an issue for, uh, for PIPs as a union. In the past six years, uh, we've made some progress. Um, I'd say not enough, but the Trudeau government deserves credit for ending the targeted assaults by the previous Harper government. In 2016, it uh, committed reinvesting uh, over $400 million over five years. In 2017, it increased it uh, with another $529 million. So the progress was made, uh, but the damage that Harper did, it has not been completely um, overcome yet. Um, Pandemic put the issue of, uh, uh, of tax fairness in Canada into harsh relief. Um, and especially with the cost of pandemic management, uh, you know, we expect questions about how to pay for it will become prominent in Canadian politics. And as expected, the us usual voices on the right are calling for cuts uh, to the public service uh, that Canadians rely on. Um, so really the economic debate in the next, in this election and in the next few years, I think boils down to two primary positions. On one side, you're looking at cuts and austerity. And on the other side, you're looking at tax fairness uh, so that the richest individuals and corporations pay their fair share. And we as an organization believe um, that tax fairness is the more reasonable and equitable way to go forward. And the professionals we represent are capable of ensuring that government policies can be implemented correctly to that end. So let's look quickly at, at some of the findings. This was a, a comprehensive survey and all the results are available on the Broadband Institute uh, website. Um, we released three sort of 
buckets of the results, but but there's a lot. Um, I think a quick summary is, you know, most Canadians think the pandemic has increased inequality in Canada. Uh, 62% think this, the tax system is unfair. Only 14% think it's fair. So there's a clear uh, sort of double whammy there that, that it's increased inequality and we aren't, um, you know, taxed fairly. There's also a, a clear majority who believe now is actually the time to tackle inequality uh, and wealth inequality and specifically uh, by increasing taxes on wealthy Canadians, large profitable corporations. Um, Katrina, to your point, you know, we also tested some specific tax measures. Um, 92% support closing tax loopholes, 92% support making it harder for corporations to strategically book those profits in tax havens. I know uh, a real strong uh, uh, policy position of the New Democrats right now, 89%, including 50% who strongly support it, right? Uh, I do a lot of research and it's rare to find like aggressive, intense support for something. Um, support a wealth tax paid by the richest Canadians every year, which, which I think has gone up uh, our sense of support for that. We also find broad support for increasing the tax rate on, on the top earners. Um, you know, uh, so, so across the board, you're seeing big numbers here, 80, 90% of people, including large support for investing in, you know, Kivesh, as you said, the CRA to enforce the tax law and then make sure we're able to collect uh, taxes. So, so not only do people think it's unfair, but there's there's big support for 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 solving it and and, and collecting it. Um, we also, you know, looked at um, the, the issue around the deficit, and and to Kivash, your point about you know where are Canadians on it, and and I think we can already see by the debate in this campaign that there is no appetite for any conversation about cutting yeah. spending on services people rely on. That most Canadians you know, don't want that in a post-pandemic plan. Um, but they also don't think you can reduce the deficit without increasing taxes either. So there's like this understanding that it's going to happen. And for me, what's most important about this tax discussion, particularly the wealth tax and, and corporate taxes, you know, sometimes you hear people say, well, if you raise the taxes on the rich, that's going to hurt you. Well, like almost nobody thinks that, right? Few think that if you raise the taxes on large corporations or wealthy people, that it will negatively affect them. So that boogeyman doesn't run, like it doesn't work. And then the last thing we, we explored is coming back to some work uh, we did with the Broadband Institute in 2019, looking at affordability and particularly affordability, what we call affordability anxiety, this idea that the cost of living is going up and my wages and income aren't, aren't matching it and that's creating uh, a challenge. 80% are worried at least a, a little bit about it. 39% say they're very worried or pretty worried about the cost of living. And perhaps most important in this survey, and it's, it's been reflected in, in recent research we've done, cost of living is the top issue for more people than anything else um, when you ask them what's going to drive their vote. So we'll talk about the interconnection of all of these three issues, tax fairness, inequality, and, and affordability. But Katrina, you, looked, you, know, you look at the, 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 the fullness of these results, and you then look at the first five days of this election campaign, what does it all mean to you? Like, what, what, what does this say? Well, I, you know, for a progressive, which I am, from a policy perspective, this, this poll and where Canadians are sitting right now and how they're thinking about the world and what they want to see happen is really good news. Um, it seems that um, Canadians are largely coalescing around a really clear-eyed view of what the opportunities and threats are right now in the world for them. Um, they understand 
that there is significant inequality and they want to tackle it and they're clear about that. Um, they understand, for example, also that, you know, or 70% of them based on this poll understand that we need a recovery from the pandemic that makes a fairer economy and a fairer society. Uh, and they have, you know, fairly clear ideas about what that means, better healthcare system, more affordable housing. Um, and they also attach that not just to a fair society, but also to a more affordable life for them. So it comes back around to their personal need um, to ensure that they have a good, decent quality of life that they can afford in Canada and that everybody else does too. Um, so from a progressive standpoint, this is a great place. This is a great landscape on which to talk about uh, progressive social democratic policies. Um, and what potentially is different this time around is that um, I think that people have a greater sense that these things are possible because they just saw us in two years time, you know, completely change our income support program within a couple of months. So they know government can move fast when we have a clear mission of what we're doing. They've seen us, you know, globally develop a vaccine in record time, you know, about a third of the time of any other vaccine that's been produced. And so they know that quick action can happen. And they also know that the threat facing them is a deficit. And as we've just heard in the last couple of days, inflation rates um, that are going to drive up the costs further uh, on them. They are concerned about whether or not they'll end up having to pay for it out of their own pockets or their children will have to pay for it. Um, and they are also aware of the, you know, the, the crises at our door climate change and inequality and the very real consequences of these crises. And so, you know, we sit with Canadians actually, I think, having some very clear understandings of what those opportunities and threats are and what they want. Um, and the first five days of the campaign, what we haven't seen, I think, largely um, are, are campaigns from a lot of the parties that are reacting to that yet. Um, yeah. I think the you know, the Conservatives, kind of flubbed, frankly, um, their platform announcement. I'm not, that felt very, um, like it really didn't find the traction it was supposed to find. They went to really, really typical space um, around tax credits and around a little, little bit in this pocket, a little bit in that pocket. Um, I think the NDP came out strong with a platform that talked right at the front about affordability and about that kind of recovery that would actually change the way our society works. And I think we're still waiting to find out why the Liberals are in are in the campaign in the first place. Um, so, it, you know, it's only the first five days. Uh, and it's funny you say, like, you know, all these signals that people are getting that, like, this this is this world is not really working for me. I can't help but think also in the last few months, we've had two billionaires self-finance, you know, trips to space. And, and, and no wonder people are saying, well, like, come on, like, you have so much money. And like for space nerds, that's awesome and it's interesting. But at the same time, some people can't afford to eat. Some people can't afford to put a house over a roof over their head. And you're flying around, you know, orbit off all the billions that you've generated um, over over time. So it just feels like there's there's this, this deep inequality. Um, Kivash, on on that point that that um, Katrina made about like the, you know, it, it seems to me that what's missing, and I think the NDP probably does it best because this is where like their comfort zone is, is, you know, the other parties aren't connecting the dots between all of these things, right? Like it just feels these first five days, there's no overarching like 
vision or, or, or framework by which public policy debates are happening in which they're laying out an agenda, right? And I think what this survey showed, um, and maybe we didn't anticipate it, but it, it ended up being that way, and you really highlighted it in a conversation we had, is that there is a clear connection between, you know, paying for the pandemic, tax fairness, um, and affordability. And, and Katrina, I think you alluded to it, like there's, there's, a, there's, there's, there's dots that connect for people. Can you expand on that for me and like help us understand like, you know, when we talk about affordability, you can't separate it from tax fairness and you can't separate it from the deficit and how we pay for everything that we, we have to pay for going forward. Yeah, I mean, the, anybody who is watching our economy sees that it's doing generally well. It's getting richer, <laughs> you know, like when you track the way that our economy has, has grown, it's getting richer all the time, but it's going disproportionately to the wealthy. Um, and, you know, you, you're right. Uh, there was a time that trickle down economy was something that was kind of a truism. And a lot of people believe that it's OK for the rich to get richer because eventually it will trickle down to me. But we just watched two of the richest men in the world blow their money in the space. And <laughs> you know, it did not trickle down. <laughs> they just set it on fire. And um, so that is the lived reality of people. Expressions like a rising tide lifts all boats. It's not really true <laughs> when it comes to the economy and, and people are realizing it. Um, Canadians for Tax Fairness did an analysis uh, in 2019 showing that between 2010 and 2019, the average net wealth of Canadians in the bottom half uh, went from 35,000 to 37,000. So like average Canadian, 50% uh, bottom half of the wealth went from 35,000 to $37,000. Um, in the top 1%, the average wealth went from 4.9 million to $10 million. So while the richest few more than doubled their wealth, everyone else barely went up and benefited from the growth uh, in our economy. And it's not just the most disadvantaged people that are negatively affected. It's virtually everybody. You could be in a family that is, you know, two income earners making good income and still barely making ends meet when you're uh, thinking about the, the cost of housing, the cost of childcare and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, like it is it is impacting everybody. I think they see it. They see an unfairness to it. And it reminds me of something that I said it was the research you did, David, in 2019. I think you started it on a number of ideological questions. You started testing people. Um, climate change, which should not be ideological, but unfortunately it has become um, immigration, crime, uh, taxes, etc. And it was interesting to me that all, almost all of them, the results were predictable, right? Like you could have some diversity of opinion among New Democrats, liberals and conservatives, but like generally speaking, it, it cut right, left, center, and, and it fell within the parties. On tax fairness, there was almost unanimity. Not only it united the progressives, it cut the conservatives right through the middle because a lot of the working class um, you know, populist conservatives look at today's economy and they don't see it to be fair. They may not agree with me on climate policy. They may not agree with me on racism and inclusion, but they would agree with me <laughs> that it's not fair that uh, the richest few are constantly getting richer while the rest of us are being left behind. And, and I think you're already starting to see a little bit of it, although I think maybe he's reluctant to completely jump in the pool. But Aaron O'Toole, you know, a few months ago, talked, he even said, I'm going to make sure everybody pays their 
fair share. Um, there's hints of it in his platform where he's like, you know, not going to let corporations, you know, he's going to make sure that, that he pulls back money from, from wage subsidies that, that profitable corporations might have taken. Like there's a, there's a little bit of an edge, um, but it's only like, like they're, they're throwing scraps out just so that they can appear it. Like, um, and so Katrina, I mean, that's one of the, and, and uh, Kivesh mentioned it, the most interesting thing about these issues is it crosses the political spectrum, right? So why is it then that only the New Democrats, only Jagmeet Singh right now is out there talking about this as like a top three issue for it? Like I, I, I see, you know, on the NDP website, on its social, it's like make the rich pay more and then do all the other things we're going to need to do. Um, you don't hear that from, from Mr. Trudeau. You don't hear that from, you know, Mr. O'Toole all that often. Like, yeah, what's I, holding I, them back? Like what's holding them back from just saying, we're going to do something that's incredibly popular. Well, it, it, part of it's ideology um, and part of it is, is habit. Um, look, we have been in, you know, 30 years, 40 years of an anti-tax environment politically. Basically, uh, you know, no one has seen any political value in putting forward new taxes and has only done so when um, they've been willing to take the cost because of, a, of some sort of trade-off. Um, and, you know, even when we were talking to Canadians four or five years ago and saw at that time that people thought the tax system was unfair, that people wanted the tax system to put more of the burden on those with more wealth and wanted uh, the loopholes closed, no one believed that it could happen. And so no one was really willing to fight for it. I'm really willing to kind of use their democratic power uh, to push for it. What's happened is the, the Canadian voters have shifted very, very quickly to a space for all of those reasons that we've talked about uh, up to now, the rising inequality, concerns about affordability, concern about who's gonna pay for the kind of world we want um, and who's gonna ensure that, like how are we gonna pay for ensuring that we don't end up in a crisis like this pandemic again in the same way. Um, or that it has the same impact on us as a society. Um, all of that, you know, that's Canadians' minds have shifted very quickly and coalesced in your right, a, a way that sweeps broadly across uh, the political demographics, the age demographics, and even the income demographics, where you really see this sort of almost broad consensus amongst Canadians. And the politicians haven't caught up and they need to catch up. Um, you know, for politicians that do want to, provide, you know, broad programs and services, this is an incredible opportunity to do so, you know, a once in a lifetime opportunity to actually get the revenues in a fair way in order to provide those programs and sustain them. So, you know, any politician that says it would be great to expand healthcare, we just haven't been able to because we don't have the money. They no longer have that excuse. They now, Canadians know where the money is going to come from for that. They've in, identified it. They're saying, please go get the money and expand health care. So now there's no more excuse for a progressive politician to say, I can't do that. It's not feasible. It's not realistic. Um, I mean, the other, sorry. The other, so I, I would just say for conservatives, I do think it's interesting that Aaron O'Toole has sort of left open spaces in the platform without making any concrete commitments. So I'm curious how that will evolve over the next 30 days. Yeah. I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, he's building off a little bit of like the, the tail end of the Harper years. You saw a little bit of kind of anti-corporate, anti-Bay Street 
um, rhetoric, but it's, it's they haven't fully embraced it. I think one of the things, you know, in the work we've done on on tax fairness, there is this this skepticism among the public, though. So on, on top of like near universal support for collecting more money from those who have the most uh, and making the system fair, there's a skepticism that like, well, they but they're going to find a way to avoid it or they're going to, you know, they're so rich, they're just going to, or they, they have so much influence over their politicians, they're going to, you know, find a way to, to wiggle out of it. Kivash, I mean, this, this strikes to the heart of what you were talking about right at the start about investing in your members yeah. um, and in public service to, to actually execute tax policy and collect the taxes that, that we are owed as a country. Do you think that that's a, a solution to that cynicism that like, it's one thing to say we want to make sure everybody pays their fair share, but it's another thing to actually invest in the ability to do it as a way to overcome that skepticism. Yeah, definitely it is. And, you know, I, I don't say that because I work for an organization that represents the, the people <laughs> whose job is uh, to do this. The parliamentary budget officer looked at, um, again, in 2019 election, the NDP was pushing for some additional investments into CRA. And uh, parliamentary budget officer estimated that for every dollar uh, that would be invested in CRA, four dollars would be recouped. And that would be without any policy changes. It would not be increasing taxes. It would not be introducing anything new, just invest in people's uh, capability. Um, as I mentioned that right off the top, like, and I think this was by design. I don't, I like, you know, I, I'm not in Harper's back room. I don't know. I, I, I wasn't privy to the conversations, but I think they knew what they were doing when they uh, took the focus off the biggest tax cheats and put them on charities and what they were doing when they started cutting deep into the parts of the organization that were responsible for uh, for taking on uh, tax evaders. Um, just one thing I wanted to mention on that note is that in uh, a, a couple of years ago, we did a survey of our members, 12,000 that, that we represent at CRA. And an overwhelming nine out of 10 of the tax professionals surveyed by our union said that, quote, it is easier for corporations and wealthy individuals to evade or avoid tax responsibilities than it is for average Canadians. Our own tax professionals are telling us that we built a system that if your grandmother forgets to put a zero in front of some number in her tax return, she will, the, the forces of government will descend upon her but if you're a corporation and you take your money to uh, to an island uh, offshore, uh, we're not going to have the capacity and the ability to uh, to catch you because our hands have been tied. And I think that's that's an area um, uh, that really we need to start focusing on investing in. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, I think that um, the results you know, that that same hesitance you're talking about, Kiavash, that's seen in in the public and and. David, about you know whether or not uh, we'll actually get the tax cheats, whether or not the rich will just find a way to squirrel away their money, you know, is everything from funding the CRA properly um, to do the job that that all Canadians need them to do, and having the political will to close the very legal loopholes that the government has put in place um, that allow them to not have their income and their wealth taxed in all a variety of ways. Yeah, I do have a prediction here. <laughs> and my prediction is that 
it is going to happen. Like I, I think the, the drive toward this and especially triggered by the cost of the pandemic is that it will eventually happen. Uh, and, it, you know, Karina touched on this. There's there's ideology and there's habit that is stopping the, the two uh, major parties from adapt, adapting the same policy that the NDP is pushing. Co- New Democrats come by it honestly, right? Like this is within the tradition of social Democrats. It's been done in European countries. Uh, it was advocated by by Elizabeth Warren in the United States. Um, it's popular. It's gonna it's gonna happen from that perspective. But for the liberals and the conservatives, they are part of a coalition that is more diverse in their views um, on this. They have been more embedded in the anti-tax mentality for the longest time. Uh, I mean, I remember the first study that, that uh, Abacus and Broadband published, uh, one of my favorite liberals, Scott Bryson, who's always cheerful, <laughs> was, was quite angry that you even looked at this issue. <laughs> and, you know? uh, so, so I think that is part of what's happening. I did expect with the departure of Morneau, who tends to enjoy some of these benefits mm-hmm. in our society, um, and the appointment of Freeland, who wrote the book on plutocrats and, and has warned against uh, the excesses of the rich, that we would see some action there. Unfortunately, in the first budget, all we saw was like a commitment to study the issue. Uh, but again, like the way that I look at it, and especially if this election results into another liberal minority with the New Democrats uh, having a balance of power, um, I think inevitably this is going to result in some sort of a tax policy adjustment. It's, it's time for it, and I think the, the population wants it. I want to take us just in a slightly off ramp because this conversation just is, is getting me to think about like, like sort of the structural reasons why when we look at the population and, you know, we all, we've all done the together, the sort of segmentation and looking at the different kind of groups within the population and why, you know, how they're connected and what they think about. But I was reading this, this, this piece by David Brooks in the Atlantic about sort of the realignment in the political system, right? And why are you seeing this like cultural backlash that you see in the US, you saw it in I think in the UK around Brexit. I, to some extent it's here, but I think it's not as, it's not as obvious to us um, in, in how our politics is, is sort of expressed. But in, in many ways for some, some, and I'm gonna use quotes around this progressives, um, you know, uh, share the same values when it comes to issues around racism, or, or, or cultural issues, right? Like they see themselves as like, I think Justin Trudeau puts himself as a, as a social progressive, right? He's, he's, he's he'll, he'll, he'll talk a lot about uh, intersectionality and, and racism and all those kinds of things. And yet his economic policy doesn't align with that either, right? And I think, so this article was talking about how in particularly the creative class has kind of created new, a new class system where if you if you're in the know, if you if you have the ability to create content, media, sort of just sort of lead the conversation, your economic interests though aren't aligned with those that aren't in that creative class, right? And and that separation is creating like these frictions that that make it harder. So so actually there's there's more likely to see alignment to move to a to more tax to fair tax system, but in a way, none of them like the two main parties can do it because their leadership are actually part of that other group, right? In particular, I think you said, you know, Morneau and, and, um, and, and Trudeau, you know, they're in that group who, who come from, a, I think, a tradition of believing they are progressive, but then, you know, can't, can't imagine 
an economic system that actually helps people. I, I do wonder if that is what's preventing the, the kind of shift. But once it happens, like once, and I think Jagmeet Singh is an interesting case because he is no doubt in the mainstream of like pop culture and yet is able to transcend um, and talk about issues that folks who wouldn't otherwise be watching him on TikTok or care that he's stylish actually can say, well, no, but you're, you understand, I think, where I'm coming from. So it's just, I, I'm just raising it. I don't know if it's, it's any, any use, but I, I'm being like intellectually challenged to try to think through that our old class systems and our old way of thinking isn't aligning anymore. But this tax fairness idea is the one that kind of breaks through it all and, and brings people together and says, fundamentally, I think I'm getting screwed. And I really don't feel like anyone else feels it. Like any of the leaders I listen to don't really get it or don't, they're not really doing anything about it, at least the two main leaders. And, and that's where I think there's an opportunity here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, the, it, it's a very challenging um, circumstance to think in. And we're going to be stuck here for a few years because I think what's happening is that we are having a breakdown of our um, historic economic system, which is a neoliberal market system. And we're shifting to a new economy in a new economic structure, and we're not really sure where we're going, right? No one's really sure what that new economic structure looks like, um, but a whole lot of people don't feel like the old one serves them, and so they're leaving it in droves, and they're forming their own um, sort of cohorts and tribes of people that they feel that they're in kind of common economic landscape with um, and that's impacting the that's impacting how people look at how they vote and how they look at the issues in all sorts of ways that we're still all all of us are trying to understand i think um you know that's kind of prevalent not just in canada but almost globally um, the where it comes down to the taxation piece um, is also fascinating because we see this kind of polling with this kind of broad spectrum of support not just in Canada and not just in the US, but we see it in Europe too. We have European partners that we work with, other think tanks, um, and they're finding the same sort of broad support for you know fixing the tax system so that you have a tax system that is more is taxing wealth, taxing income, taxing large corporations more and making sure they don't get away uh, without paying their taxes to the point where the IMF is bringing it up now, right? So that's a massive shift. So there, it's, it seems that people are like, well, whatever this economy is coming at us, whatever is new, what we know is that the way we gather revenue together as a society needs to be fair and needs to be enough to pay for the things we want to fund together as a society. At least in that way, we seem to have a clear idea of what people want. So I want to end... That's so smart. Um, I want to end by, by just shifting to, to affordability and the cost of living. And um, if you recall back to the start of the 2019 campaign, I was talking with somebody today and it just felt like that first week of the campaign was all about it. And then blackface photo came out and I think that shifted the conversation off that. Um, and I really think that Justin Trudeau would have lost that election if it kept going uh, because he wasn't able to like justify or explain how he was going to make people's lives more affordable. Um, it feels like, although this first five days are, are a little jumbled, there's no doubt you had, you know, Jagmeet uh, Singh in, in Vancouver yesterday talking about housing. Aaron O'Toole today talking about housing. Uh, childcare has played a big 
big part already. Um, GST holidays. It, it does feel again that all three of the parties are on this kind of, I hate to use the a war analogy, but like an arms, way, arms race to, to out, outdo each other on who's going to make life more affordable. But I think it does go to the fact that what our survey found is that this is a issue for people. Um, what, how do you approach this, I guess? is like, where, where, where does this end? Um, and how, how would you even recommend, you know, um, progressives to be thinking about affordability and why it matters so much to the, to the broader conversation? Maybe Kivash, I'll, I'll let you start there. Um, well, based on the research that, that you did, I don't know if there's a lot of convincing to do. I mean, people are experiencing the affordability question. Uh, they're experiencing it in their cost of housing and childcare in healthcare and in, in, in anything they do, they, they are not uh, as I said, like, you know, and it's not a, a situation that is only hurting the most disadvantaged, uh, even though like poverty is a real issue in this country and we have to tackle it. But, you know, the people who are middle class, upper middle class are still having a hard time making ends meet. Uh, and, uh, and I think the pandemic has also like put a harsher light on that. It's disproportionately impacted uh, certain aspects of uh, certain parts of society definitely had a major gender uh, uh, impact on the number of women who left workplace uh, to take care of their kids. Um, uh, and, and yeah, so like, you know, all of that, I think is there, the, the material is there, there's no convincing to do, you don't have to convince people that this is important, They're, they already know. Uh, and I think that you know, one of the main takeaways I had uh, about the, the research you did for, for us in broadband, um, you know, you pointed out in a conversation we had that tax fairness on its own is not the driving issue. It's what connects all of these issues together. Uh, and that the language of those who are advocating for tax fairness will not be successful if they're just going on like punishing the wealthy. <laughs> like the wealthy didn't do anything to deserve their wealth and they didn't, they didn't do anything to to uh, deserve to be punished for being successful they just got to pay their fair share so that we as a society can move forward and and everybody can live a, a decent quality of life and and that's the part that i think that you know the, the challenge will be uh to not present tax fairness outside of the context of affordability to connect it all together um and i don't think it's a huge challenge quite frankly as i said like the the, the dots are there people understand it uh it's more about galvanizing it and and reminding people that this is not about like punishing anybody it is about building the kind of society that we want um so so yeah like that's the that's the direction where where i think it's going to go my hope also is that in this election um you know Hopefully, other parties will also join in and present some uh, some uh, policies, not just like breadcrumbs <laughs> on uh, tax fairness. Uh, but also, New Democrats are running for the second time on this idea. This time, they seem to be more focused on it. Last time, it was just in the platform, and there was a little bit of a mention on it. But you know, some of the pre-election advertising the NDP took was about tax fairness. Uh, a lot of the posturing has been about that. I think the narrative of the affordability that Jagmeet Singh is trying to build is all to say. It is not inevitable. The, the, the affordability issue is a result of policy decisions that have put the wealth of this country into the hands of a few. Um, 
And, and I mean, you know, and he doesn't have to like be particularly radical about it. I mean, you know, in 2012, Mark Carney was the one who talked about dead money, the cash that was being hoarded by the richest individuals and companies and how he, you know, raised a red flag that this is a problem, that that's the money that should be working in the economy, making life more affordable and the economy moving forward. It shouldn't be just like hoarded in some bank account uh, doing nothing. So, so I think like that is a nice trajectory for him uh, to be able to build that and hopefully others will also join in. That said, this is not a post-pandemic election. We are still very much in the in the midst of this pandemic. And I think uh, questions like, you know, the vaccination and a bunch of other uh, which issues will become, you know, uh, will attract attention. And the ability of um, uh, advocates for tax fairness to be able to push that agenda forward uh, is going to be tested. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'll just echo a couple of Kiyavash's points. I think you're right. Kivash and, and everything that you you've just pointed out around that you know the the rationale the pitch point is there and it's clear and it's successful and it's actually quite straightforward um, and I think Canadians you know have clearly shown it to us in this poll um, so the ability to keep pitching that throughout the election um, will depend on how much people want to see how government or how these parties are going to pay for the types of improvements that Canadians want. So uh, liberals are going to come forward with a whole bunch of improvements. And at some point, we're going to have to say how we're going to pay for it. And just growing the economy in monetary theory, frankly, isn't going isn't isn't to do it for Canadians. Um, because as we've seen in the poll, they're quite worried that it's going to fall back on them. It's going to fall back on lower income and middle income households whose taxes are going to go up. Um, so they want to be able to kick the tires and see quite clearly that there is a concrete plan. And that's where taxing the rich comes in. That provides a concrete plan of who pays for it. Um, but I also think that, you know, whether this ends up being an issue that takes up lots of airspace or just, you know, kind of half the airspace or how much of the airspace during the election, it will continue being an issue after the election. Whenever government comes in power, we'll have to deal with this. And I was just going to add, uh, I was listening to another podcast and a conservative on it was saying how even in the first few days, because he's the only one who's actually talking about raising revenue, Jagmeet Singh is actually the most fiscally responsible leader out there right now, right? And, and, and that goes to what you said about this poll is that people, they are worried about this deficit. Like, I don't think it's, it's fair to say, oh, we're not worried about it. I think they look at that number and they say that is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. How do we how do we pay for this? And but on the other hand, they do not want cuts to, to, to their public services. They're worried about affordability. And so cuts mean I need to spend more on those things. Um, and so in a way, I think you can I think there's a clear opportunity to connect those dots between this a fair tax system and the need to raise revenue and a way to protect affordability in the future. And it all kind of comes together. Um, and so we'll see whether people are listening and, and they and, and the New Democrats can, can make the argument, but no doubt they're trying. And um, based on the poll that we released this week, they're gaining uh, a little bit of ground and, and that might continue. So um, Katrina and Kivash, thank you so much. Uh, it was fun working on this project with you both and uh, we, will, we will see where it goes. So have a, a good rest of the week and this election still is a way to go, but um, it's, it's turning out to be an interesting one. Oh, it was a real pleasure to have this conversation. I always uh, always love digging into this stuff with two very smart people. Same here. Thank you. <laughs>